to be or not to be? That is the question. The horse, the horse, my kingdom for a horse. Oh, don't be so dramatic. Hello and welcome to Don't Be So Dramatic. I'm Steve Bradley. And I'm Jason B. Moore. And welcome everyone to episode 21. One. We're now legally 20. old enough to drink in the yes. United States. <laughs> You'll excuse us being a bit quieter and gentler yes, very today. Gentle. Because we're recording in the Royal Festival Hall in Southbank. Near the river. Near the river. Not in the river, I thought you said. Nearly. <laughs> And uh, we're surrounded by people, and we're being very gentle. <laughs> Polite is the word. <laughs> yeah. So today, we've got a special off-the-record talk with Josie Lawrence. Yes. And Paul Clayton, recorded yes. at the Actors' Centre. Yeah, very interesting uh, lady, an interesting career. Um, very much so. The, the normal path, which is brilliant. Um, yeah. The ups and downs, which are always good to hear, because it makes us all feel realise we are sane and not <laughs> mad. Um, so yeah, interesting things, she, things that she has to say Yeah, so um, enjoy, here we go Bye It's quite snug, isn't it? I know, yeah <laughs> Very friendly, you see, Lovely. I told you Lovely, hello 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 uh, Thank you very much for coming along to this, which is our Beautiful sixth... afternoon out there as well. Yes, it is. It We're is. in a pit. Uh, the sixth off-the-record chat in this series of conversations where I get the joy of talking to somebody whose work I like. Uh, thank you to those of you who booked uh, for Wednesday and changed your diaries. Uh, you can thank Hollyoaks for that, for keeping me busy on Wednesday. Uh, but I wouldn't let anybody else debt for me on Wednesday because I wanted the joy of spending an hour today with my guest, who is the delicious Josie Lawrence. Uh, I'm really lazy doing this, and I start every chat the same way, which is, uh, was there a moment when it started? Was there a moment when you thought, that's what I want to do? Well, I I think from as soon as I could speak, my my mum and dad... uh, (laughs) knew I wanted to be an actor. I had a, an imaginary friend, and they knew this because every morning I would open the door, let someone in, and then shut the door again. <laughs> and I loved sort of, I suppose, the very first impro I ever did was, was playing, you know, which mm. is what it is, really. Um, and we used to have a, a play afternoon at, at school where there was a big box of dressing-up clothes, and, and I learned to play the recorder, and I can remember giving... All my girlmates, the, the lead parts as the mayor and the children, and all the lads were the rats, and I was the sort of um, high piper, okay. and that was the first. And I said to them, hide under the desk and crawl after me once I start playing the recorder. And it's what I've been like with men all my life. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I suppose that... But the thing that really... Because it was very working-class background. Me, me dad Whereabouts worked, are we now? Whereabouts uh, a place called Old Hill, which is about two miles away from Dudley in the West Midlands. OK. And um, I was born in Dudley, uh, and but um, in the maternity place there. Yeah. Same maternity place as Lenny Henry. <laughs> right, OK. So we have, we have a similar accent. Um, I think what really sealed it for mum and dad, although I loved amateur dramatics and, and school plays, was my cousin who lived next door, Barry Carpenter, who was two years older than me and very get up and go and 
you know, making the most out of life and getting into Oxford and he's like a tutor now and a writer. He uh, really saw something, I guess. I don't quite know what he's seen me in school plays. And he put me up for... There was a speech and drama festival in, in Cheltenham called... Cheltenham, Cheltenham Speech and Drama. And, drama. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'd missed out on doing the 12 to 16... Um, um, speeches so he put me in with the adult group and I did a speech from Arnold Wesker's Chicken Soup with Barley and I won and I still got my certificate and, and like the local papers picked up on it and I think then mum realised Bert we've got to let we've got to let her do what she wants to do so that was it so where did you Big go and do winded. where did you go and do what you wanted well, to do well now Mr Hudson my lovely drama teacher at, at school um he, he told mum and dad when they came to see him that perhaps it was best because acting was a very hard profession that I should get like teacher training and stuff like that and mum and dad had heard about Dartington College of Arts I, I had picked up things on Central and Lambda and RADA you know <laughs> RADA see. Um, um, but no because London was where the devil lived so I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't go there but, but Rose Bruford I remember and Dartington and Dartington was the only place I auditioned for. I'd spend a day there. Uh, I remember at the time I had glasses and big brace and uh, was very uh, naive about things and I think we ought to... First of all I went to see the writer, who was Peter Kiddle, a wonderful man, and he made me read a Ted Hughes poem, I think, called The Black Crow. Mm. Very simple. And then he kept asking me what do you see? And I say, I see a black crow (laughs) and white mountain... (coughs) What else do you see? The, the, the black and the white. <laughs> what else do you see? The solid mountain and the, the crow fly. What else do you see? I thought, bloody hell. Um, and then we had to move around the dance hall with a wondrous Mary Fulkerson, the dance teacher, um, holding up the weight of our head. Um, and we did other things like that. And when I got back to mum and dad's, um, they said, did you like it? And I said, you know what? They've got a swimming pool outdoors looking over the fields. I really want to go there. <laughs> and, and when I got in, it was conditioned on two A-levels. And when I got in, uh, I stopped. I had contact lenses. I'd had my brace taken off. And, um, but I still was very naive. There's only about three of us straight from school. A lot of people had taken sabbaticals. It was a four-year course, and it was the, only the second year of it being a degree course. And so you weren't actors, you were theatre practitioners, and you majored in um, either acting and directing, <coughs> movement or, or writing. And the oldest guy there was a, a taxi driver who wanted to write, he was 54 years old at the time. So it was a real mix of, of, of people, and, and very good for me, I think. But um, for the first year, I think some of the tutors couldn't actually remember giving me a place. Um, <laughs> they actually had a meeting about me. <laughs> yeah. And did they decide that they had, or did they decide that... Well, I don't know, they couldn't... I mean, there were certain <laughs> things. I mean, I did love it. I learned. I think I learned to grow up there. Do you know what I mean? Well, and that's what I was going to say, because there's a lot of debate now, and at the Actors Centre we're slightly involved in it, about um, you know whether you have to do three years' training to, to be an actor, to move from where you are into the profession. And do you think that you... Do you think that it... it because for a lot of people, drama school is just about making mistakes and learning who you are, which of course is 
hopefully what you know when you get into the profession. Yes. Is that what it did for you? Is that what it gave you that time? Yes, I, I, was, I was very young, and I think I was very young in my head as well. And uh, I think there is a tendency when you're at school that you think that acting is just getting up, putting on a costume and, mm. and, and acting out the words. And you think it's going to be easy, you know what I mean? You think it, because it's always at school the one lesson you really enjoy if you're into it. And I think what, for me, Dartington made me stop and think. It, uh, it, it made me grow up in, in lots of ways. It, they didn't let you touch a script for a whole year. And myself and Jenny Bolt and Julian Weber, who's now a, a director, uh, rebelled and we did in camera in the dance thing and we got told off about it because we, we should have spent that year finding our central line, you know, but... But, um, but then we had a year out where we worked in theatre and education. Um, we wrote plays uh, and to, to write something and then pass it on and let it get done without you having any say is quite a big thing. But what also we had was people like Richard Eyre and Ronald Eyre. We had joint stock coming in to debut nearly all their shows at the time. So we, I saw the debut of Cloud Nine there. Uh, I saw the debut of Alfred Molina, funny enough. I ended up playing his wife uh, in um, Accidental Death of an Anarchist there. And by the end of the four years, I felt I'd grown up. And four years is a long time. But I, if it hadn't have been for people coming in... I wouldn't have known the basics of things like equity card and agents. Um, it, it was more on an artistic level. Yeah. So I'm forever grateful for Dartington. I learned to improvise there because a lot of stuff was devised pieces. Um, and that's where I first did impro. It wasn't sort of ha-ha-ha comedy, you know, it was... Well, they were usually rows, weren't they, when you improvise? <laughs> usually. <laughs> what are you looking at me like that for? You know, I'm not. But you see, I was very lucky. I was, I was from a family that couldn't afford to send me there, and it was the days in, if you, where, where I got a free grant. Yeah. I remember going down to Exeter when I was in Devon on the free grants for all March, you know, and, and it was much easier then to, to go into training. But I also think my training came doing the work in men's clubs as well, because that's what I did to get my equity, equity card. card. Yeah. So what with Dartington and the work in men's clubs, that's, the fusion of that was very good for me. What did you do in the clubs, did you say? I sang. Okay. I was doing, in order to get my equity card, I was doing, I did theatre and education up in Manchester when I'd left. After that awful time that people get where you leave drama school and you write loads and loads of letters. It was big rep world then. Yeah. With your CV and your photo, and will you please see me? And you get lots and lots back saying it's on the file. So you sign on. I was back living at Mom and Dad's, and I did theatre and education up in Manchester, which I loved. I, I remember going to schools and getting flats and costumes out the back of a van and setting it up in the school hall and just thinking, I'm an actress. <laughs> I loved it. And... Uh, <laughs> But couldn't get this elusive equity card. It was very, very difficult no. to get in those days. And as a matter of fact, I remember Richard Eyre, who'd, who'd given us a fantastic impro class, actually. Um, he said an amazing thing that I'd never forgotten in, in, in the class. I was doing an impro with, with one girl who was... 
had quite a lot to, to say in the impro, and I was her mother. So all I could do was, was sit, and I remember the only thing I sort of said was something like, oh, if that's what you think, darling, that's fine. And, and Richard said, picked out, saying, thank you, I loved the way you listened. And I've always thought, from, with acting and with impro, the most important thing in all of the world is, is to listen, mm-hmm. really. And there's so many actors sometimes... The the actors I remember that I've loved working with are the ones that I feel they're listening to me afresh every night you're on stage. You know, not an automaton. There's a wonderful interview, isn't there, with Ralph Richardson talking to Parkinson and Parkinson, Michael Parkinson, said, what's the hardest thing about acting? And without a moment's hesitation, Richardson just says, listening. Yeah. Because to actually listen to other people is really difficult. So you, you found you found Josie and you come out of dark. Jo, no, Josie. No, no I was Josie. Wendy. I was Wendy. Wendy. You were still Wendy then? I was still Wendy. Then I did my... Uh, the theatre and education thing, there was a guy there that was the manager there and he said, in order to get your card, if you do 35 gigs, uh-huh. you can... So I basically... Uh, I was with the bingo. I started off uh, uh, singing sort of like I Will Survive, Lullaby Broadway, and there was... So I've still got me old dots that my, my organist because my, my uh, family used to go to work in men's club in the Midlands yeah. so I knew what it was like it wasn't like pint glasses being thrown at you the, the Friday nights and Saturday nights in a working men's club real family evenings yeah. you know and what was brilliant is that the best way of knowing whether you were doing good or not was whether they watched you because sometimes there'd be an act on and uh, people just carry on talking and drinking you know but if you were good then they'd take notice of you so I did five songs then bingo costume change Five songs, bingo, costume change, and then the dance numbers at the end. And I remember doing Piccadilly Railman's Bar and getting the bus back to Didsbury and looking at my little contract thing and thinking, I've got it, I've got it. And then a letter come saying, you can't be Wendy, we've already got a Wendy. I don't know who this Wendy is, I've never met her. (laughs) But um, uh, uh, Josie is my auntie's name, so I wanted to keep Lawrence. So... That's and that only and but the irony of it was that was two years after Dartington really to to try and get the card, and uh, the week that I, my card came through was the week that I had an audition uh, for Ragged Trousered Philanthropist at the Half Moon. Yeah, at yeah. the Half Moon, uh, with John Adams directing, um, and strangely enough, Stephen Lowe adapted the book with Max Stafford Clark for joint stock, and. Um, they had and they improvised and devised a lot of the stuff. Uh, this was in the late seventies, and uh, there's a Beano scene in Ragged Trousers Philanthropist, which is about the start of the trade unions. And uh, what they did was they improvised the Beano scene at Dartington's. So myself and a couple of other girl students were the waitresses there, and I I sang a song while I was there, and in, and uh, Harriet Walters, who was going to play, sang a song, and, and that was still in the the, the piece. And I think Stephen must have remembered me because he asked John Adams to see me, and I was so nervous about going to London and the first proper audition, so nervous that I completely, completely lost my voice, completely lost my voice. Was on the train down from Manchester. And writing notes, that's it. And so I said to John, I said, I... He said, well, try, try and do something, try and do something. And, and I put it in, put it in, 
<laughs> I did that, and I came home crying. Immediately got my voice back after it had finished. <laughs> and, and they phoned up saying, you've got the party loves you. So, you know, it was great. It was Good bloody great. And of course, a lot of people, because the thing that I suppose comes about next and about you beginning to get known for impro, but a lot of people forget that you trained as an actress and that's your mainstream. Oh, yeah. As we'll talk um, about later yeah. on, there's an awful lot of fantastic credits. Yeah. But how, so how did the impro thing come about? Um, well, Jim Sweeney says I, I've got some details wrong. I might have done. He? Okay. But because, you know... You know, you live through the 90s, things get a bit wild, the memory goes. Um, and sometimes you meet people, you don't know if you've worked with them or slept with them. But, um, uh, but no, the, the, um, the 80s, oh God, the 80s were great. Um, Ragged Trousers Philanthropist was fantastic because trade unions would come, you get like Neil Kinnock sitting on the front. And because it was at the Half Moon, which was then a little theatre, we'd paint the theatre as the night went on. Uh, and they'd, they'd buy in bulk for, for um, the lads that worked in fat lads and ladies that worked in factories and stuff. And they'd all sit, never been to the theatre before. And as you were taking a bow at the end, they'd come and hug you. It was just, it was meant to run for about eight weeks. It ran for much, much more than that. It was just the dream job. And out that got my agent and a, a little tour and, and my next job. And then it stops. You know, sometimes when you're acting, you can have a little run of things and then bump back to signing on and waitressing again. And I remember Sue Dunderdale auditioned me at Sarah Polly for something she was doing in, at Newcastle, which was Passionaria, Pam Gem's premiere. Okay, yeah. Uh, with the glorious Denise Black playing um, Isabel Ibaruru, I think her name was, Passionaria, the Spanish Civil War one of the leaders there. And her husband, Paul Sand, was doing the music because it was a play with music. And I went up for the part of her friend and didn't get it. And I remember going back to Mum and Dad's that Christmas saying, I've got nothing, I've got nothing. And again, then getting a phone call saying, um, do you want to be part of the ensemble? So I went up there and I met Kate McKenzie, who's now my truly best friend, as is Denise, and um, she got the part of the friend, but we loved singing together. And Denise Black was already doing with her husband, sorry, this is a bit long winded, um, <clears throat> the alternative cabaret circuit of the 80s, which um, there'd used to be stand ups and variety acts, and then you'd be, there'd be your musical act at the end. And we loved harmonising together, so we became Denise Black and the Cray Sisters. I don't know where that came from. But he wrote magnificent songs. I had a solo about... He'd look up things like eulogies and stuff in, um, in, in The Horse and Hound. I had this song called Poor Old Ben about people talking about a man that used to be the hound leader, uh, uh, how he died. And then he read a sad story about somebody whose husband had burnt in a fire called I've Done Nothing But Cry. Uh, but, but then they were really brilliant harmonies and we would always end on a kind of Flanagan and Alan spoof called Learn to Screw um, which was so it was a fun and, and we became Best Music Act 1985 uh-huh. in something that was called City Limits a magazine then so that's how I got to know all these wonderful um, uh, comics 
including the Rupert Pupkin Collective that was Jim Sweeney and Steve Steen. And what would happen was you'd have a fishbowl and the audience would write things down and uh, put them in and then you'd pick out something, you'd read it and then you'd improvise it. And they were doing this late night at the Donmar Warehouse and I'd been working with... Uh, so I already knew that set because of Denise Black. But then I got a part in a Payne's Plough show called Songs for Stray Cats and Other Living Creatures with... Peter Capaldi and uh, his lovely now wife, Elaine, and John McGlynn, started off at the Tron and then toured, set in Glasgow, and ended up at the Donmar. And they were doing late night at the Donmar, this impro stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked me to join in because they needed more girls. And it was one of these things where you go, kapow, God, this is great, you know. And then I was up in Edinburgh directing uh, a Denise Black and the Cray Sisters show because we got new Cray Sisters in because work was getting a bit much. And Paul Merton had a bad cold. <clears throat> uh, and so I stepped in for, for him and that's how I debuted with the Comedy Store Players. And so my first impro game was with Mike Myers who, who, who um, founded the, the Comedy Store Players. Did it push your acting career off kilter? Did it push your... Did you find that... No, because I still carried on doing my theatre job. Okay. I think, and it was, was and still is, the best part-time job. Please come to the comedy store. Yeah, if you haven't been, if you haven't been to a <laughs> Wednesday or a yeah. Sunday night, it is the it's best. It's the best part-time yeah. job in the world. I've been there 29 years now. But if you go off and do a job or you do filming or, you, you know, whatever it is, uh, you can get guests in to cover for you. And, and so for every week, for 29 years, uh, twice a week, I've performed live. Which is such a wonderful thing to be able to say. Yeah. Um, and um, I forgot what, what, what I said. No, it did. I tell you what, that didn't. Uh, whose line is it anyway? Was a late night Channel Four yeah. thing. Um, um, I'd always done, already done a couple of sketch shows. I think I think I played a character on Saturday Friday Night Live. Was that before or after? Anyway. Um, it was at the Donmar, and I auditioned for it with Paul Merton, this late-night impro show. Yeah. And, and we were sort of being a bit blasé about it, really, because we didn't know what it was. And, and we kept getting put down, put down, put down, going through, going through, going through, until we were left, and I ended up doing the pilot at Lime Street Studios, and then it went into um, a series, and, and suddenly went kapow. Um, I remember being at Whitechapel Tube Station about two days after it had first come out, and somebody said, oh, you're Josie Lawrence. And it was the first time it had happened. So it was great. It was very weird, because Whose Line Is It Anyway? It was only about... We'd do two or f- three or four shows over the weekend, so you'd get booked for about three weekends, uh, and then they'd make compilation shows and stuff out mm-hmm. of it. So it would run sort of a long time. But in your life, it would only be three weekends. And it suddenly got huge. I was getting voiceovers... I was getting ad oh, adverts. <laughs> I was getting adverts, and, and I bought my house on an advert. I mean, adverts, bloody hell! Have you got a favourite advert that you remember? Yes, it was an Heineken hand advert. I think I don't know if we'd be allowed to do it. It was with Joan Sims. You remember the Joan, Joan Sims? Sims. The um, she was a wonderful actress and did a lot of Carry On films. And Celia Imrie. And oh. I'm, I'm sitting drinking my Heineken. Uh, well, I'm holding it, and I'm on a plane, and sitting next to me is Joan Sims, 
going, and another thing, and then obviously stuck with this woman, and, and Celia Imry comes dressed as an air stewardess and goes, excuse me, madam, to me, is this bag bothering you? And then folds up Joan Sims and puts her in the overhead compartment, and I look at my Heineken, you know, because it can reach the parts of the beers can't reach. That was my favourite. They used mashed potato to make the head on the beer for the pack shot. Oh, yeah. so you didn't get yeah, to drink that. didn't get to drink so, that. So, whose line then? Whose line? Is that, tele- is that getting you into television drama or television comedy? <coughs> no, no. Well, I, I loved theatre. And, and, uh, and uh, what suddenly started to happen was, uh, oh, we, you, they don't really want to see you because you're a comic. Uh, and I got, my agent got inundated with people who wanted me to come and do the, my stand-up comedy show. Uh, and I'd never done stand-up comedy. I wish I bloody had it done now, because they were offering a lot. But I couldn't think of anything more scary than stand... Much rather improvise with a team than stand on my own with a mic doing jokes. Yeah. I mean, I love watching stand-up when it's done brilliantly. Yeah. Eddie Izzard and yeah. Paul Sarah Milligan. I love it, but I couldn't do it. It would be too nerve-wracking. But that's what they wanted from me uh, for, for a while. And, and I didn't really mind and then Channel 4 wanted me to do my own show <clears throat> the wonderful Jeff Posner and I remember saying to my agent what if people don't like it and she said oh, of course they'll like it and I, I said to Jeff can they be longer sketches because I'm an actress really and I want to be able to perform and so we did these longer sketches and then I went off and did uh, something with Pip Broughton at Nottingham whilst that was in the can um, called Tatiana, which was three yeah. actors, three opera singers based on the Eugene Onegin. So very heavy and very different to take myself away. And Pip knew me anyway, so she knew that that's the kind of stuff I liked. Yeah. And it was while that was happening that I auditioned for Mike Newell for a film that was going to be Scream 1 BBC called um, <clears throat> Enchanted April. And I really didn't think I'd get it because of the comedy links, but... He, he gave me that part, and I'm so grateful he did. It was a wonderful thing to do. And what was also lucky was my series came out, and all oh, the critics really shat on me. I mean, oh, God, they did. Uh, but I was in Italy filming Enchanted April while it was out, and I was sitting having a coffee with Joan Plowright. Uh, like you do. Because <laughs> <clears throat> it was Alfred Molina, Miranda Richardson, Michael Kitchen, Polly Walker. It's a beautiful it was film. A, yeah, it's a, beautiful a lovely film. film. And there was an old copy of either The Times or something, and I got it to look to see what the reviews were like of my show. And this one guy had really knocked it about. And I couldn't have been sitting next to anybody as good as her. Because she said, Oh, I've had lots of bad reviews, darling. So did Larry. So did Larry. And then she started to tell me about all these really crap things that had been said about her and her bloke, you know, and I thought, this is great. So, so yeah, you did, I did get sort of knocked. You know, you, there's a time when you get knocked. And it, it, uh, it, it did knock me about a bit. It, it happened on the same week that sort of a love affair ended and my mum and dad, God bless them, came down to look after me and, and they weren't going to do a second series. And I remember some people that had come up to me in, like, Channel 4 offices and that, at these dudes, like, walking past me. You know, it really was like, oh, no, she... And, and I had a, a year of just 
not really working at all. Thank God we did a tour of the Comedy Store players. We toured all around. And then lovely Nika Burns put me uh, in touch with Peter James and I did Mole Flanders at the Lyric and that's when it all started again. So it's, it's, I never choose what I'm doing, it, as a lot of people don't. It, it's, uh, it's here and then it's there and then it's there and then it's nothing and then it's something and I suppose it happens with all of us. Now most people don't actually recollect but of course you've done a, you are a, an esteemed uh, ex-artist of the RSC. <laughs> Got you mid mouth all day, you see. Um, Catherine, Catherine uh, yeah. in Taming of the Shrew. <clears throat> that was Gail Edwards. Yeah. But in, then again, when I went for that part, I'd just done three series of a wonderful thing called Outside Edge. Yeah. And my agent put me up for this part, and uh, I, I so wanted it. I so wanted it. I've always wanted to work with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I looked upside down at the list of names that she was seeing, and I thought, I'm not going to get it. She's Australian, Gail Edwards, fantastic director. She'd never seen whose line is it anyway. And I think that kind of helped. And, um, and I got the part with, along with Dunyasha in Cherry Orchard and um, about 17 other parts in, in Faust. And uh, it, it was just a dream come true. I loved it. What, what were the particular things? Was it was it the fact that you got that lead role, or was it the whole environment? And the whole the environment, learning? the whole environment. Uh, I mean, you could do workshops on on Shakespeare's sonnets. There, there, there were people there you could just talk to. The whole atmosphere, the fact that my dressing room, I mean, it's changing. I said my dressing room that overlooked the mirror was the dressing room that Peggy Ashcroft sat in, uh, the mirror that she looked in. Um, it made me buzz that place. Um, the way people was they were such artists a bit like the globe the, the people that did the costumes and the shoemakers and the set designers the musicians uh, and it it zinged the place zinged to me and uh, with, the, with the young actors that came there I, I sometimes with some of them I wanted to take them by the shoulder and say please drink this in because this is amazing you know, drink it in and did you go and do all those things? Did you go yes. to the sonic classes? Yes, as, as much as I could take in. Yeah. I, I loved it, loved it. And I loved Gail Edwards. I loved what she did with that particular shrew. We know it's a difficult play, so each version has to be your version. You can't look around elsewhere for it. Yeah. And I really loved what she did with it. She wanted it to be colourful and brash, but to have this obvious darkness to it. And the final... A speech that everybody worries about. I was very proud of, of what we did with that because we thought, you know, after two and a half hours, I think people would expect me, you know, the comedy lady, to do a tongue-in-cheek or something like that with it. And we didn't want to. We, we wanted it to be that Petruchio and Katrina could have worked as a couple. If you take out a lot of the shit that he puts her through... Their personalities could have worked. But he fucks it up big time. And when he says to her, you know, tell us how loyal you should be, Kate. Uh, I, uh, in our version, we had her going, OK, I will. Uh, I'll tell you how faithful I'm going to be to you. I'm not going to stop. It's going to be quite a long speech. It's going to go on and on and on. 
until you bloody well understand what a shit you are, and then I'm going to leave you. So it had to be done like that in that part, and she was great at, at steering me through all that. Um, I loved it. I loved Dunyasha. It was great to play the shrew one night and then Dunyasha. It was great to be in Faust, but my God, it went on. I mean, in, in rehearsals, people kept putting up a, a phone number for the uh, Samaritans <laughs> next, to the, next to the people who were in Faust, because it was seven and a half hours long, you know, part one, part two. Uh, I understood Jeffrey Dench as God in a wheelchair. Um, he had to be there. Um, <laughs> But, but Dunyasha, we did that in The Swan, and Penelope Wilton was just so adorable. And I shared a dressing room with her and Kate Deshannon. And uh, when we did the party scene uh, as Dunyasha, Dunyasha I played as wanting to be like uh, Madame Renovskaya, you know, wanting to be a lady. So I had a little sort of, for the party scene, a little sort of tatty brooch and a compact that m- m- she'd obviously given me. No powder in, but mm-hmm. I wanted to be her. And... Uh, and so we'd carry on the impro off stage. We'd dance off, dance off, and I'd go, isn't it wonderful, madame? Isn't it wonderful? I think Yasha wants to dance. Yes, shut up and, and serve the punch. You know, yes, and we'd go on again and do a bit of Chekhov, then we'd come back off again. And then I, I'd sit in... One night she saw me, caught me sitting in her place in the dressing room, and she went, Josie! And I'd say, I'm sorry, madam, and got up. And then a few weeks later I was rifling through her makeup. Josie, sorry madam, this was always in until by the end of the run I was actually trying to squeeze into her own clothes (laughs) (laughs) she loved it so yeah, fun days fun days there Um, you you were talking about uh, Petruchio and Catherine, Uh, you also of course in two different productions have played Beatrice and Benedict. Not at the same time, although no. I would love to. Yeah. I played mum and dad in East at college at the same time. I was half mum, half dad. <laughs> you know what you do when you're a student. You do yeah. mad things. So, yes. Um, you were telling me, because one thing we were talking about <laughs> is about when you're doing Shakespeare and at Stratford, and I think it happens at the yeah. Globe as well, you do get lots of people who bring their Penguin editions yes. to follow you. Yes. Uh, which is great, and they turn through the script following you. They and do. of course, if the director's made a cut, <laughs> you get to a certain point in the script where, as an actor, you have a joy saying this line, yes. knowing that when you say the next one, there'll be an enormous <laughs> rustle of pages while half of Japan tries to catch up <laughs> and find where you are. Uh, yeah, that you was, that was, that was uh, about... Oh, that was, um, yeah, that was Benedict. That was years on. For, for, yes, Benedict. I loved playing Benedict with the groundlings. The groundlings. We do the comedy store players uh, every year at the Globe. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Mark Rylance st- started that because he came to see us and he guested with us once at the comedy store. And he said, I, I, it's the nearest I can feel it. it is to how it would have been, you know, a bit anarchic, people shouting things out, you know, us shouting things back and... Oh, it's my favourite space to work in the globe. Benedict, <clears throat> yeah, I was good. I had a beard. Yolanda Vathwis was my Beatrice. Uh, one review, the reviews were mixed. Right. <laughs> uh, I love one, the fact stroking your beard. You, yes, you and I enjoyed my beard. I had a beard. I thought I looked a bit like a, 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 a young um, sort of... Um, not Kenya Reeves. What's he? What's Donald Sutherland? Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. I thought it looked a bit like him. Her blonde. 
Uh, and then I had a different wig for the second half where Benedict shapes up a bit, you know, and gets yeah. himself ready for Beatrice. Um, <clears throat> but yes, we had a lovely time um, on, on that because there, there was one person who had their script actually on the stage. An audience, and, an audience, an audience member. And I was doing my monologue uh, after I'd come out of the arbour and realised Beatrice loves me. And this guy, and I picked it up and I started reading my monologue from the book, you know, as if he knew something I didn't. He knew what I was going to say. And, oh, I loved it. I used to take people's sunglasses and... I'm t- tis blind I am. Thou art in league with the devil, you know. Yeah. I used so to it's bringing the two things together. So bringing the, the two the, things all together. The, the joy it's you great. The comedy story but I you. did that. Helena Kautausen at, at, at Royal Exchange allowed me to do that with Beatrice, who I have to say is probably my, my favourite ever stage um, director. Direct. Uh, no, no, d- character. Okay. Oh, I love Helena, but I think Bill Alexander's my top one. Right. Um, uh, Oh, I loved it. She set it when, in a time during the, the Spanish Wars when the men were all in the uniforms and the, the deep, there's hot nights of Spain and the corsets and the, you know, it, beautiful. It, it just looked beautiful. And Beatrice was such a witty character. And I love, I love her. I love her and I love the darkness of the church scene. And, and, and I... I, I got wonderful reviews. I, I mean, I know people shouldn't read reviews, but usually you do, don't you? And they were fantastic. And one of my favourite things was a, a review who I really like said, he understood Kill Claudio, which was what I was really working against, because that sometimes can get guffaws. And I love that speech, Oh, That I Were a Man. Uh, it's so, She's so frustrated, you know. And... And we got it all. It, it was. It, I loved doing that 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 piece. The and reason I loved doing Bene, Benedict is because of the whole. I mean, our dressing room was like Tinko. You know, it's all women, <laughs> and and we all had the most marvelous time. It was a it was a halcyon day summer, really. <clears throat> we can't chat without touching on your foray into soap. Oh yeah. Minty's a dum 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 dum. Amanda, Amanda, was she? Amanda Best, would you call? Amanda Best. <clears throat> in Walford. How yeah. was it? Because it is a bit like going into a, a factory when you arrive in those organisations. Yes, I did. It was because I knew of what it can be like when I did Frozen at the National with, yeah. with Anita. Because yeah. we shared a house together. And sometimes people would call her Ange. And uh, she'd say, Dad, I'm not Angemini. And I thought, oh, it doesn't matter. And then you realise, actually, it does matter, because you are yourself. You know, but it's, it's natural that people, after all these years, would know it. And that's what I really thought was odd, was people would call me manned and tell me off about how bad I was treating Minty. Um, it was meant to be eight weeks. My agent said, do you want to do it? You haven't been on telly for a while. It'll show you off a bit. And, and then it went into eight months. And I loved all the people. Absolutely no egos there. And it was great meeting June Brown and Barbara Windsor. Uh, and my God, people work hard, especially with families. Um, you know, you're in the makeup chair at 6.30 and you might leave around 7.30. You get to the film studios yourself. You go out and get your own lunch. You know, it's not glamour, glamour. It's, no, it's bloody hard work for everybody involved. 
but then, it, and, and it's, it's lovely, but you do meet people who actually do think you are who, who you play. And, and you get really told, told off. But by the end of it, I knew my, ch- my, my contract was coming up December the 10th, I could go. And I went to see lovely Deirdrick and asked if I could go. And he said, what will you do? And I said, I don't know what I want to do, but I do. They were very lovely. They still let me do the, the comedy store players. But I did feel, well, I want to, you know, get out. And uh, I think I am a bit of a wandering minstrel. So it's lovely, but I do like to go like that. I'm glad, really glad I did it. Really glad I did it. Good. Okay, well, I'm going to give my warning now so that we bridge that moment in a second when I go, are there any questions? And we know that hands will shoot up. But my last question, which, and I know we've not touched on other things such as um, uh, King, oh. The King and I, um, which I took my mother to see, and she had a perfect evening, and you looked amazing. Ah, oh, God. Um, I just remember they used to play, you, you were saying, we were just talking about Jimmy and Joe Allen's playing. Oh, lovely Jimmy. Yes. Was that your no, that first was... big musical? Because that was a big production. I did Mont Flanders at the Lyric, but certainly not. I, I was asleep one day in bed, and uh, and uh, a phone call went, and, and they said, would you like to take over from Elaine Page and the King and I? And I said, can I phone you back? <laughs> and, and, I put my, and I went back to sleep, and I thought I'd dreamt it. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, I look at Elaine. Yes, well, it is like looking in a mirror. But, but, uh, but and, and then phoned back, and I said, I can't do that. She's a brilliant singer. I always think I'm an actress that sings rather than a singer. I love doing it, but I... Uh, and, and they said, no, it, you know, Gertrude Lawrence was a, a comic actress and that's who it was written for. And, and, and unbelievably, you know, there's 45 minutes of that show after um, Shall We Dance. No music at all. It becomes very dark, the, the, you know, the, the um, execution of Tom Tim, Tom Tim's lover and and the king dying. And, and I loved the dramatic qualities of that. So that's what I tried to put into to her. But, yeah, fantastic job. Fab. Very good. All right, well, I'm going to ask... I'm going to open it up to the boys and girls. Sorry, I've rambled a bit. No, no, God, people are taking notes. Yeah, <laughs> Shit, what have I said that's worth even note? I'm doing that because I don't know what production this lighting's set for, but it's not flattering to either of us. No, it isn't. Uh, uh, any questions for Josie? Stick those hands up now. Oh, there's a person with... Uh, Hello, Blondie. Yeah, I was really interested in what you're talking about with um, uh, listening as a, as a difficult thing when you're acting. Sorry, what did you say? Listening. <laughs> 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 Carry on, sorry. Okay. Um, and I'm also interested about what goes through your head when you improvise. Um, and if you could... Describe it in any way. I mean, is it an association of ideas, words, of images that are received from the actor you're playing with? I think what the what we usually say to people when they guest at the players is not to because there's so many people that say, "Oh, it's it's not improvised," or there's set. Yeah, of course there's set games, but within that it has to be improvised. If it's if you slightly know, it would throw me for six because you'd think beforehand. What if I said that? What if I said that? And then probably the person you're on with would be thinking, what if I said... And it wouldn't work. So we always tell people with comedy in pro, please don't try to be funny. Please don't try to be funny. Think of it as a conversation. And sometimes you can have the most surreal conversations with people. And, and just, I try and say whatever comes out into my head. Um, and I suppose when I sing, when I improvise the singing... 
that is more technical because I'll you you have to kind of think a line ahead. So if somebody throws at you, say teapot, uh, you're you're getting teapot in your head. Uh, teapot, hot, got, lot, you know, uh, tea, me, the, uh, you, brew, you know. It, and so that's it's just thinking a line ahead. But as far as you see, that's why people ask me to do improv workshops and that. And I think I'd be a bit crap because I can't explain. It's just something I love to do. Yeah. It's it's just something I love to do. <clears throat> it's good. It has a little bit of mystique, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fab. Another hand. Another question. Oh, please ask me a question. Look, they're, look, they're all shooting. And I'm going to get. I'll come to you in a second. I'm going to get a lovely lady with the scarf there. Lovely thing. I think probably after my series, after Josie. Um, it wasn't a, um, a confidence thing. It was um, feeling I'd let people down, uh, yeah. which is an awful feeling, because um, uh, it wasn't a hit. I mean, funnily enough, when it got um, repeated the next year, it, it, some of them said wonderful. Don't get me wrong, some people said lovely things about it, but it was, it was a big... Uh, and uh, I just felt I'd let people down. I felt I'd let Jeff, let Jeff down, and me, mom, and dad, and you know. Did it? Did it hurt more because it's got your name on it? Yes. And it's I, not I, like I I'm in a show, and the show's called "I'm in it," so they it's get Josie. Show, but yeah, it's called I, Josie. I felt so. if, if anybody had to be thwacked, then it should, by yeah. rights, be me. And I'm very proud of it now. I look at it, and I'm very proud of it, especially the songs. And there's a song I wrote for it that I still sing to this day, tired and emotional. So it's, I'm very proud of it, but uh, I, it just felt like it was my time to be flanked. And, and I, think, I think as an actor, we spend a lot of our time going through crises of confidence. I don't know many actors who are confident, and I don't say that in a, in a derogatory way. No. I say that in a quite lovable way. Uh, I think most of us... Uh, have huge vulnerabilities, which I think is very helpful because I think when you play a character, the, the first thing to look at really is their vulnerability. Um, uh, that's when you can find so much there. Yeah. God, I did sound like an actress then. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm coming to you up there. I'm going to come down here first then. Okay, I just want, could you remind me what was the Eugene O'Negan thing, three opera singers and... It was called Tatiana, and it was at Nottingham Playhouse. Mm. And um, it was really... It, it, um, it coupled the, um, some of the songs from Eugenia Mignogna yes. in the opera yeah. with Pushkin's poem. Oh, right. so 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 it was quite serious. It was beautiful as well, and the opera singers were fantastic. Did you sing? Yes, I had to sing the Bloody Letter aria. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. Just about got through it. But I was in my prime then, so I looked good, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Fab. Uh, I'll come to you in a second. There was a hand up there. Yeah. Um, I know you, you describe yourself as a wandering minstrel, but yes. when have you most felt in your career um, part of a, a real movement of, of artists or writers and actors in that quite broader sense? Where you're all sort of saying similar things or, or doing things in a similar way? Have you ever felt part of a broader movement like that, that sort of carries each other along? I suppose the biggest, the biggest thing has got to be, in a way, the impro. Yeah. 
because we're, we're in the Guinness Book of Records as being the, the longest-running troupe that have stayed together. And when you've worked with somebody, with a group of people that long, you know them so, so well. And at the time that we began, um, impro, there wasn't much of it. There was the wonderful stuff that Keith Johnston did, Ken Campbell, there was um, Second City. Uh, 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 but it wasn't hugely known. Uh, now, it's such a huge... It's like a phenomenon now, impro, uh, which I think is fantastic. But at the time, um, just walking onto a stage and not knowing what you were going to do was the most wondrous feeling. Uh, on radio as well, we did a wonderful thing called Masters and Inheritance, which was completely improvised. And there's something so wonderful about creating that. And what's nice now is I, I try and make myself go to other impro groups, like at Grand Theft Impro, and, and work with what I would say the younger set, uh, because I think it's, it's very good for me and... I, I suppose in that way I'm a kind of part of some kind of history there because of the impro. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I love it. Here in the centre. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been so incredible hearing your passion about this craft. It's so inspiring. Um, <laughs> and your career is, is amazing and incredible as, as your talent is. But is there something that you still really like to still do? Or is there just something that you're like... Well, that's my last question. <laughs> Part-wise, I suppose I would love to do Mother Courage. I would love, love, love to do her. I would love to play Mama Rose um, in Gypsy. In Gypsy. Oh, wow. um, um, I suppose yes. There's things like that. But you know what I'm learning more and more of lately. I'm 55 this year, and I feel that I still. I, I still feel like I did when I started off, as far as the excitement of it's concerned. I know it's getting harder and harder. I know, you know, when people, when you go up for a job now, uh, they want you to start tomorrow in the North Pole. But will you learn these five scenes first, because you're going to be on camera, and they'll let you know whether they've got it, and you've got a per day, and you can share an igloo, and you can have some shark meat, uh, but you've got to make your own way there. And, you know, so there's, there's all that going on in our lives now. Is it me, or is it... It's, no, it's no, much, just, it's much more... Do it now. Do it yesterday than it used to be. Um, and, and more and more, I think, um, you have to create your own work. It's because there seems to be a set and a wonderful set of, of people that, that, that are chosen from and it's very difficult just to get seen and to do something different. Please let me read for that because I could, I could do that. I know you don't, but please, you don't even get seen sometimes no. nowadays. It's very frustrating. You have to start creating your own stuff. And so that's what I'm looking forward to as well as the parts. I've got a little jazz group now. I've said yes to, to doing a, a workshop in Urbano in Italy for a Shakespeare summer school. There's Michael Pennington doing Romeo and Juliet, Bill Alexander doing um, Merchant of Venice, and I'm going to be doing three days on Much Ado. And I would never normally have said, I can teach, but Bill said, I think you can, so he's going to talk me through it. And, and, and I think more and more the older I get, the more I will start trying things out, taking more risks, and not caring anymore like I did in the 90s. Wow. You know, that's the best thing. 
Would you have said yes to that workshop if, if it had been in Rotherham? Yes. Okay. I would have done. No, I'm just checking. Cabano, <laughs> Italy is a really good, you know, but I'm just checking. That, Actually. Uh, it's for all the right reasons. Yes, yes. Very good. There was another hand up a second ago. And then, <clears> there was mine. Oh, right, there sorry, was. Sorry, sorry. You're you twinkling. The there we go. You're twinkling in the light. That's <laughs> Uh, I'm so tired by what you were saying now. I, got, um, I just wondered from, because you've inspired me, unfortunately, to kind of look back at my old, because I used to do lots of things with cabaret. And I've gone, I've realised that being a straight actor, though, they get confused, they let people do get confused, you've touched on it yourself back. Am I an actor? Am I a comic? Yes. And I just wonder, have you done things specifically to try and separate that, or you've just gone, it'll, it'll fall where it falls on that? I really, really, really wanted the shrew because of that. Uh, and and, and it was quite difficult to do as well because we were in our third series of Outside Edge and, and it was touch and goes to whether I, I could do it. And they did a wonderful thing because I'd, I'd finished the show at half ten at night, get home to my little cottage, cottage across the road, a car would come at four o'clock, wake me up when we got to Nottingham, do Outside Edge, put me in the car at four o'clock and get me back to do the show. And I did that for eight weeks and I've never been so fit in all my life. Mm. Because when you know you've got to work, then you really look after yourself. But I think we do, more so than in America, actually, put ourselves into these boxes. And I think if I called myself anything, it would probably be a performer. You know, I I think, probably. I suppose I use actress the most. But um, I don't mind being called a comedian, because it's brilliant making people laugh it just means that half of what I do is shut out when people say that that's all, but I don't mind it it's good to make people laugh absolutely, we like it when you do I like it when you're on Just a Minute on Sunday lunch oh I love Just a Minute and I'm waiting for my brunch being cooked by my other half (laughs) I love Just a Minute it's like going back in time it's lovely, when that minute waltz starts Uh, this very lovely, clever lady in the middle there took my last question. So uh, we have known each other a long while. So yeah. I'm going to say um, I'm going to try something to finish this interview that may or may not work, and you might not like me at the end of it. But should we try a tiny little bit of improvisation? We've been talking about your career. I think there might have been something in your career you've done that you don't yet know about. So I'm going to ask the audience to give me a suggestion of a venue where you may have worked. <coughs> And a production you might have been in, and a role you might have been playing. Pretend ones. Pretend okay. ones. And we're going to get you to create the anecdote that goes with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah? Yeah. All right. So, I need a suggestion of a venue where Josie has worked. The Coliseum. The Coliseum, okay. The one in uh, St. Martin's Lane or the one in Rome? The one in Rome. The one in Rome, okay, that's great. Any other venue suggestions? The Minac Theatre in Cornwall. The Minac Theatre in Cornwall, do you know that? No. Are you asking for lots of venues then? I'm going to choose a nice one. Oh, no, no, just just choose the... I'll just choose one, so I'll choose the Coliseum. The Minac Theatre... Well, that's the Minac Theatre. Minac Theatre, that's the one by the sea. It's the one by the sea. I'll go with the two of them. Okay, so there's the what was the what was the production she was in at the time? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We don't know. What to okay, any other thoughts? Antony and Cleopatra. Antony and Cleopatra. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Go with the both. Yes. Okay. Hairspray. Hairspray. Yes. No. Go, go with, go with the, go with the first two. Go with Hitchhiker's and Antony and Cleopatra. All right. And do you want a role that you play? Do you want something? Yes. Yeah, all right. Okay. Oscar. What role did she play? Tosca, the snake. 
the snake. You were the snake yes. in Anthony and Cleopatra. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you love to remember all this as well, you know. I know, I know, I know. You got asked the question. I know, I know. I'm just doing it. I suppose there's one thing we've not touched on, which when I was doing some, uh, you know, my starting point of any... You're not going to bring that up, are you? (laughs) I just wondered how... We're going to talk about Tosca the snake, aren't we? (laughs) Um, Was there there a future in in reptiles at this point? Listen, at the time, my agent phoned up and said, would you like... A long run at the Colosseum. Now, I thought, obviously, she meant St. Martin's Lane. Yeah. <laughs> and I was doing a little show at the Manac Theatre in Cornwall. Yeah. I was doing a little show by, with Footspan called The Rising Barley. <laughs> the Rising Barley up to the sky. And here my lover does lay down and die. It wasn't a hit. <laughs> It only turned out to be the Colosseum in Rome. Oh, right. But you really, really have to project in that place. (laughs) (laughs) And they wanted to do a weird kind of amalgamation of Antony and Cleopatra, Shakespeare's Antony (laughs) and Cleopatra, and give it a sort of science fiction feel. (laughs) So it was crossed between that and A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Now, Tosca the snake had been found on the planet Oomph. And had, had found its way via a barge to the land of the pharaohs, where I became great pals with Cleopatra, um, okay. who was played by um, Shin Hancock. Okay. <laughs> it was one of the. It was one of the roles I think that she's most remembered for. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I know Sheila very well, and if you do mention that particular production, she won't thank you for it. <laughs> quite demanding. Mm. Um, what's the sort of takeaway you get now in your later career from having, I suppose, played a snake? Well, the costume proved difficult. <laughs> I mean, I did study snakes. They've got a beautiful sort of snake emporium in Rome mm-hmm. in uh, the Las Barapas Street. Uh, <laughs> and there's a, a wonderful, wonderful Roman boy there called... Um, um, oh, what's a Roman name? It's a strange name, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Marcus. Um, thank you. And um, he used to say, Bella. Yeah. Okay. Would you like to see my big snake? <laughs> and so I would study Marcus's snake. Again, uh, very close up, very close up work on his snake. And, and that's what I took with me when I went to the Couldn't use my hands, though. Yeah. Mistress. Fantastic that you can still recreate that even now. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, what more example? Well, Sean Phillips has got something to live up to, hasn't she? <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, supposedly, we never know who is going to be available to do this, which is part of the joy for me. Uh, but hopefully, um, my next two guests are Sean Phillips and uh, Caroline Quentin. 
over the next month. It's great to have lady. You're the first lady I've had in the chair for about yeah. six months. Because we had all the guys <laughs> right Much back. Much longer than that, surely. <laughs> <laughs> How well you know. Uh, please do take advantage of the cafe, and this building is for all our members. And these is a series of free events uh, that we are very privileged to be able to offer you as members, and we hope to offer more. But we have lots and lots of new initiatives, so just take a moment to find out about them. Thank you for giving up your afternoon for coming Thank along. You. And would you, you join me in thanking the absolutely divine Josie Lawrence? <laughs> And there we have it. What a brilliant, inspiring, hilarious talk. Yeah, it's just a normal gal sort of thing, um, which is great. And, you know, she said a great thing. She said, um, you know, one minute you're here, you're there, then you're nothing, which is, which is uh, it may sound like a negative thing, but I think it's a positive thing because it, it keeps us in, in uh, uh, instead. I don't know what that means. In it check. Keeps us in check, but, but it also, because uh, although as wonderful it is, it keeps us... Uh, yeah, in check and, and makes us makes it's, it's a great way of saying we are. As I said previously, it, it, we're saying we're normal, human. We're human, and we don't. If we're not doing what we want to do, it doesn't mean that nothing wonderful is going to happen. It's not all glamorous, is it? It's not glamorous, but that's good, and, and that's a good thing because mm. um, if we talk that it should be, and it sometimes always and always isn't, then we're down on ourselves. But it's not. It's great, you know. Whatever you're doing is you're doing always doing something. Yeah towards whatever it is you want to do yeah and these off the record talks are great because they really you get to hear the real side of yeah you get so great you mean that the the, the off the records are great because you get people such as josie uh and then there's clive swift and the other guy i've forgotten bruce alexander uh and then you know get Derek jacoby and and hugh bonneville all very you know all been successful in the industry but all very different stories to tell and if you go back to their, their when they first started, when they first wanted to be actors like as children, that's a great way of because uh, we all relate to that. Yeah, you know, we all relate to that. Mm. So we hope you've enjoyed this show. If you've got a minute, it'd be great if you could leave us a positive review on iTunes, and then we'll keep bringing you these shows. The off the records are going to keep going with Paul Clayton, and we'll be there to record them. And the next one, I think they've got Sean Phillips. Oh, right. And Caroline Quentin coming up. Not at the same time. No. But uh, they're coming up soon, so we'll hopefully be bringing you those. In the meantime, you can check us out on the internet by going to our website, dontbesodramatic.com, or following us on Twitter, at dbsdpodcast. Yeah, I always forget that. I like saying that. Sorry, I, I took that from you today. <laughs> yeah, because I can't I can never remember the letters <laughs> in the right order. <laughs> so follow us on Twitter, visit our website, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And I think that's it for this time. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Steve Bradley. I'm Jason B. Moore. Don't be so dramatic. <laughs>